Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. And so we are going to be uh, studying the book of Philippians this, uh, this retreat. Let me tell you uh, why Philippians and how I landed on Philippians. Um, a couple of years ago, I spent an entire summer uh, studying four chapters of the Bible called the book of Philippians. And I studied it like a good day was like I made it through two verses, okay? And, and it was a very transformative journey for me studying the book of Philippians. And uh, I'm going to bring you some of the things that the Lord taught me that I saw as I studied the book that has been um, proclaimed for many years now uh, throughout church history and has changed lives. And so here's what I'm going to recommend. As you have devotionals in the morning, we don't start till 10 a.m., which means you have time to have breakfast, have devotional time. I want to encourage you, whatever you're normally reading, read the book of Philippians in your devotional time, all right? Um, so we're going to be in Philippians, and that way we can saturate in the messages what the Lord speaks to you in your personal time. Your conversations with each other will be about what God's Word says in the book of Philippians. Does that sound good? All right. So we're going to call the series To Live as Christ. Um, let me uh, start by saying this. In our culture, we have this tendency to make a very big deal out of very small things. Um, we can take really small, silly things and go crazy over them, whether it be a new app that's out, whether it be a pop star, we all start screaming when somebody walks in who, you know, puts their pants on the same way we do in the morning and, you know, they're, they're just human beings, or it could be about some toy or something of that nature. In fact, here's a picture, I'll go ahead and show you. Uh, this was a big deal whenever I was growing up. Does anybody know what that is? That is a Cabbage Patch Kid. That's right. Actually, that's not just any Cabbage Patch Kid. That's the Cabbage Patch Kid that I owned, okay? In first grade, I got that for Christmas. I was so proud of that Cabbage Patch Kid. I took that bad boy to show and tell in first grade, okay? That very one with number 31 jersey on, okay? I don't remember what his name is. I think it was Thomas or Joseph, but I'm not totally sure. Um, Some biblical name. Okay, so that was a big deal. Um, but then there was another thing that became a big deal. Go ahead and, uh, do you guys remember these? <laughs> beanie babies. Like these are little bitty stuffed animals with little beans and, you know, like styrofoam beans in them. And we are going crazy. I, I remember like people driving long ways. I hear they have a Jerry Garcia, you know, beanie baby over three towns over. We got to get it. And then you go over there. It's like, well, is the, is the corner of the, of the heart bent? Because if it is, it's not mint condition and it won't be worth as much. So let's put a little plastic sleeve on that and let's jam it in. No, not jam. Set it into a plastic box so, and, so it's in good shape so it won't lose its value because someday this is going to send my kid to college. Well, at one point, I don't know what it is worth now, but at one point I saw one on sale for $30,000 on eBay. I don't know if it still is, and I don't know if anybody ever paid for that. You can ask anything on eBay. That means you're going to get it, right? But anyways, okay, so then my son uh, was in middle school. My oldest son was in middle school, and, uh, and he's like, Dad, uh, I need a fidget spinner. I was like, a fidget what? But, yeah, fidget spinners. You guys know what these are? Fidget spinners? I mean, they, these were all the rage. He's like, I hear they have them at Five Below. So we go to Five Below. They are out of fidget spinners. 
Well, what are we going to do? They said, but if you come back on Saturday when we open, we're getting a new shipment in. So I pull up, you know, they open 10 o'clock or whatever. I pull up 9.55 in the parking lot ready for when Five Below opens, me and all the other dads. <laughs> These things are so hot, you can't even put them out on the shelf. They have to be behind the counter and you can only buy two, okay? And so we are, you know, the door's open. Everybody's doing that fast walk up to the door, get up to the counter. You get your fidget spinners. I'm like, hey, if they let you buy two, then let's buy two. You can sell one for $10 and you break even. You know, anyway, no, we didn't do that. But anyways, <laughs> Craigslist, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, Facebook Marketplace. So, so we got those. Uh, that, that was a big deal. And then, then the pandemic hit and I've got, you know, a, a fifth grader. And there's something that's really big. In fact, such a big deal that some stores stopped carrying them because people were stealing them so readily and getting in fights over them. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You know what it is? Pokemon cards. Pokemon cards. <laughs> Keeping them be. I mean, there are stores that stopped dealing with them because they were so dangerous to have. Pokemon cards. By the way, if you got Charizard, I'm in the market. But no, anyways. Uh, <laughs> some of you guys know that's real. Like my, my kids want Charizard. Okay. But anyways, they're Pokemon cards. They're Pokemon cards. But these, I remember I went to go make a return in, in uh, Target. And right by the return, they had Pokemon. I'm like, I, I got to buy me a starter pack. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I come home to Jeremiah. You'll never believe what I got. What did you get? Pokeball cards, you know, in celebration in the Beulah House. Because these were all the rage. They're little pe- uh, Anyways, you guys know how ridiculous this is. Let me ask you a question. What was the thing that you guys made a, a big deal out of that was silly when you were... Beyblades. 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 Okay. We got the Beyblades. We got the Beyblades. You guys know. You guys. A lot of things. Stencils. Here's what I know. I know this. I know that our hearts are made to make a big deal out of stuff. God wired your heart and he wired my heart to make a big deal out of stuff. Specifically to make a big deal out of someone. In fact, you know, as, it say, as they say, birds fly, fish swim, and humans worship. We are made to make a big deal of something. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to tell us in the book of Philippians what he makes a big deal of. And he's going to exhort us to make a big deal of the same thing. So as we dive into the book of Philippians, what I want to do is set the table about the book. And then I'm going to have Sarah, who's going to come read our text for tonight. Um, the book of Philippians is a letter by the Apostle Paul to a church that he has a deep affection for. And the reason is, is he planted the church. He was the person who came and introduced the gospel to the church in Philippi and saw the first converts come to know Jesus. And then after that, they supported him in the rest of his missionary journeys, and they were the church that he could count on no matter what happened. They were with him. And they have a deep affection for Paul because, because Paul is the one who brought them the good news of Jesus Christ, and they could, could never um, 
you know, repay him for all that he, he brought to them when he brought the good news of the gospel. Okay, so, so there is a deep affection between them. But what they've heard is, is that Paul had been in prison in Jerusalem. He, got, he was put in jail in Jerusalem. Then he was in jail for two years in Caesarea. And then he was transferred to Rome. And they haven't heard from him for two years. They heard he was in a prison in Rome. And so they actually sent somebody by the name of Epaphroditus to take care of his needs, to send him money and some food. Because if you're in a Roman prison, they didn't just like give you three squares a day. You had to have people who knew you who would come take care of you. And so they heard he was there and they don't know how he's doing because he can't send them a selfie saying doing well in the prison, you know, like, or on the ship right now headed to, like, they, they haven't heard anything. And so they're concerned, how is he doing? And that's what we're going to read today. And uh, we're going to be in chapter one. We're going to be in verses 12 through 24. So please get out your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the back. Grab one for the weekend, and then if you don't have a Bible, just keep it. And so, uh, come on up, Sarah. Come on up, Sarah. Um, Sarah's going to read verses uh, 12 through 24, and uh, once you really hone in on this, by the way, if you don't know where Philippians is, here's how you know. It is giants eat peas and corn, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, so if you can find one of those, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, giants eat peas and corn. You'll never forget that now. All right. Okay, so are you there? Philippians chapter one. It's in the New Testament, after the Gospels, after Acts, after Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and the giants eat peas and corn. Okay. Awesome. All right, starting at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body the word of God. Thank you, Sarah. Heavenly Father, as we dive into the word, I pray that you would glorify Jesus by the Spirit. 
Lord, as your word is spoken, may all other voices be silent. May Jesus be exalted and glorified and magnified in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. What Sarah just read contained a verse that may be one of the most powerful verses in the New Testament. Surely one of the most powerful verses in the book of Philippians that is full of powerful verses as we will see. But it gives us a peek into Paul's life. It gives us a peek into his heart. And the verse is verse 21. If you want to look at verse 21, it says this. It says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In fact, if you wanted to read it in the Greek, it would say this. For me to live, Christ. There is no is. Just to live, Christ. To die, Gain. Um, and, and as he says in, in, in those verses, he, he talks about what Christ can be exalted whether I live or die. I just want to exalt Jesus. He's telling us that the, the preeminent one of his heart is Jesus. The priority of his life is Christ. The, the passion, the singular passion of his heart, the singular pursuit of his life is Christ. Guys, the one thing he wanted in life was to just know Christ. To do the will of Christ. To see people know and love Jesus. To see Jesus glorified. To become more like Jesus. To look more like Jesus. This is, this is what every day was about. This is what his heart beated for. To live is Christ. And then he says, and to die is gain. You know, every one of us have, has an equation of our hearts. And we may not know what the equation is, but every one of us fills in the blank in some way. Go ahead and go to the equation. Um, it's this, to live is blank. And then to die is blank. Because however you fill in the first blank, the second blank is a derivative of the first blank, right? So whatever you put in the first blank, it's going to kind of answer how you fill in the second blank. So, um, so Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And because of who he is and what he's done, that means that, that when I die, I actually, and it, when it looks like defeat, I actually gain, I actually win. He's so, so anticipatory of being in the glory of Jesus that, that he sees it as a win. Everybody has an equation. Um, I mean, I, I've talked about this a, a few weeks ago of, of the possibilities of what people at UVA would put in that first blank. Like maybe some people, to live is to have a high GPA. Hey, don't we all want a high GPA? I mean, no one wants a low one, right? I mean, I think I'll get a low one this semester. No, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a high GPA, but um, how about to live is to have prestige? Or to live is sex? Or to live is money? Or to live is to be beautiful? 
I mean, you can put lots of different things in there. And, and, if, and honestly, I mean, no one like says those things, but everybody puts something in the blank. Like inherently, they're going to make something ultimate. And those things aren't bad things. They just can't become ultimate things. Because here's the reason why. When you put those in there, to live is any of those things, then to die is, to, is loss. If you put anything in that equation other than Jesus, then, then it ends up in loss. And Paul says that to live is Christ. I remember years ago, my theological hero, Gordon Fee, came and did our winter camp, and it was in this room. He's written two commentaries on the book of Philippians. I couldn't believe it. I asked him to do our retreat, and he said yes. I couldn't believe it. And he came here, and he stood up here, and he said this. I'll never forget it. He said, friends, if to live is not Christ, then to die is not gain. It's loss. What a simple statement. But what a profound statement. If to live is not Christ, then to die is not gain. See, Paul had tasted of the glory of the grace of God. He tasted of the sweetness of the presence of God. He had known the transforming power of God and the significance of, of the purposes of Christ, and it changed everything for his life. I mean, it, when he met Jesus, it changed everything. And so he says, to live is Christ. Let me just ask you a question as we get started tonight. How would you fill in the blank? And if you're really honest, what would you say is the rival for the blank? What in your life is the rival for the blank? You know, whenever we fill in the blank with Jesus, it changes everything because Jesus so overwhelms the equation, he changes it all. And so what I want to do is I want to look from our our passage that that Sarah so beautifully read, I want to look at a couple examples of how Jesus changes everything and see if we can see him change everything in our lives in a similar way as we make him ultimate. So um, we're going to start in verse 12. And look, okay, so you guys got to remember, they are worried about, about their apostle, the apostle Paul. And how is he doing? He's been in prison for a couple years. He's now in Rome. How is he doing? He's, he's chained. What does Paul say? First of all, let's notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say this. I've been in here for like two years and it's really bad. Will you get me out of here as soon as possible? Like, please call somebody. Please do something. Please get me out. That's not what he says. Let's listen to what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually worked out to advance the gospel. <laughs> okay. He's in prison. And he wa- the first thing he wants them to know is what's happened to me has actually worked out quite well. Okay, let's keep reading. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
Okay, so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, this whole prison thing has actually worked out pretty well. Why has it worked out pretty well? Because the gospel is going forward because of my chains. What? The first thing he wants them to know is, hey, don't worry about me. It's actually going pretty, pretty good. Okay, so here, let me give you, uh, I almost put this on PowerPoint, but I, I didn't. But let me just tell it to you, and I, I hope it sinks in. Um, we will see our circumstances based on how it impacts our treasure. We will see our circumstances based on how it impacts our treasure. Some circumstances are really hard because of what we treasure. Okay, so Paul is in prison, but he's seeing that his treasure, Christ, is actually being glorified through it. And so he doesn't see it as something to despair of. He sees it as an opportunity. Okay, so here's what's going on. He is chained to a Roman guard. In fact, it says that it's become known throughout the whole palace guard that he is in chains for Christ. Well, what does that mean? Here's who the palace guard was. The palace guard were some of the elite guards for the, for the emperor of Rome. They were like the Green Berets, okay? These were a very elite group, people with great influence, and he is chained to one every four hours, a new member of the palace guard is chained to him. And he's like, what an opportunity. I mean, think about it. If you're a small church in Rome, you're thinking there's no way we could ever get into the halls of power. We're so insignificant in the, in the mighty empire of Rome. And now the apostle is chained to some of the most influential soldiers in all of Rome. And he's like, this is sweet. And so every four hours, he, he has an opportunity to in the sovereignty of God, he's like, well, look what God did. I have an opportunity to share my faith with some of the most influential people in the Roman Empire. This is pretty incredible. And so, you know, he probably, they, they get chained to him. And he's like, hey, what's your name? Hey, oh, yeah. Well, my name's Paul. Nice to meet you. Tell me your story a little bit. Hey, can I tell you my story? So I was like one of those guys who I used to persecute Christians. I mean, I, I, I hated them. And then one time I was on this road to Damascus and I saw this bright light and I got knocked off my horse and... And then I heard a voice. No one else heard. I heard the voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I was like, who are you? And he said, Jesus. Well, I knew Jesus had been killed on a Roman cross and that he had been buried. And it was said that he was resurrected. And now he indeed was resurrected because he talked to me. And when we were done, I couldn't see. And, and so then I had to like walk blind for a while until I met another follower of Jesus. And he prayed for me and scales fell from my eyes. And I can see now because like, I can see you. See, I can see you. I can see the chains. Like, so he did this for me and he has changed my life. And the guard's like, okay. <laughs> and then I started studying the Bible and I realized this stuff was prophesied like 1,200 years before. And it's just the most incredible thing because I know the Old Testament and he's just going on for four hours. And then the guy, next guy, hey, what you, you know, he's just, these are the most influential people and people of great influence and great power. And Paul is like, this is, and this is awesome. And it's being known throughout the palace guard that I'm in chains for the glorious Christ, the one who's truly Lord and Savior. He says not only that, 
But because I get to share my faith with these um, people of great influence, the other Christians are hearing about it. And you know what they're doing? They're like, wow, if Paul can share with like the palace guard, surely we can share with our neighbor. And now they're going out and they're more boldly sharing. Because here's what you need to understand. In the Roman Empire in that day, Nero was starting to go in his not-so-good streak, doing some really heinous things, and so they're starting to pull in. But by Paul's example, they're like, well, if Paul can do it, we can do it. And now it says they're starting to share their faith without fear. Here's the point. For Paul, go ahead, prison plus Jesus equals opportunity. And advance, that advance in the Greek is this word that would be like if you were bushwhacking your way through an impenetrable forest and you were going to a place that was hard to get to. He says, that's what's happening. We are going into a place that's hard to get to, but in the sovereignty of God, prison is making it possible and it is sweet. Now, if you fill in the blank differently, go ahead to the next slide. It says this. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Let me tell you this story. You guys recognize this guy? Some of you last year heard him. He came to Chi Alpha. His name's Paul I. Paul I, when I was uh, writing this, I, I thought of Paul I because Paul I spent nine and a half years in prison for his faith in Vietnam. And I've heard him share a story many times. And what has always struck me is he would say this So then God sent me to another prison. God sent you to another prison. Like you talk about how I was in this prison of gang members in Vietnam and I started a church there and then God sent me to another prison. This time it was a prison of prostitutes and that was really hard. I'm like, I bet that was really hard, you know. And he had to clean the latrine and, you know, all these things. And, and he said, but then he sent me there so I could start another church. The point is, he saw prison plus Jesus' opportunity. He's like, great, new prison. They moved me to a new prison because I started church in the other prison. What do they think I'm going to do the new one? Because you view your circumstances through your treasure. And so, he sees it as opportunity. But if you fill in the blank differently, next slide. Prison plus anything else would equal despair. So Jesus overwhelms the equation even of prison and changes it. All right, let's keep going. Let's look at another way that, it cha- that Jesus, to live as Christ, changes everything. Um, we see in verse 15 that there's people who are preaching the gospel, but they are doing it out of envy and rivalry. They're doing it out of envy and, and rivalry. And you're like, wait a second, what's going on here? Here's what's probably happening. Paul didn't start the church in Rome, but he's a big deal. And so when he comes into Rome, everybody in the church is talking about him. Probably members of the church are going to visit him in prison and they're getting to hear firsthand the teachings of Paul and they come back, you'll never believe what Paul taught. It is amazing. This man knows Jesus, right? And then the leaders of the church in Rome are starting to have envy and rivalry. So what do they do? How do they respond with envy and rivalry? I know you've never experienced this. They try to outdo Paul. So they, they double down on their proclamation. Oh yeah, well we're going out tonight. We're going to preach the gospel. They double down and they proclaim more. But it's not really about, it's not really about 
um, the gospel being heard for God's glory. It's about, so they, they feel threatened by Paul. So they're going to show that they, that they can do it too. And then they'll cast a little dispersion on Paul. Well, hey, if God was really with Paul, I don't know if he'd still be in prison. You know what I'm saying? And then they may go, go over and visit Paul in prison and say, yeah, you should have been there last. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't. You're in prison. But anyways, you should have been there last night because the Holy Spirit was really moving. We saw more people come to Christ. And Paul refuses to enter the cesspool of envy and rivalry. Why? Because his identity is in Jesus. He doesn't need to compete against these people. He refuses to enter into the cesspool of it. And so instead he can rejoice that, you know what? Who cares? Jesus has preached. Whether from good motives or bad motives, Jesus has preached. And he is free of the envy and rivalry because his identity isn't in what people think. His identity isn't in how it um, how he can outdo someone else. His identity is in Jesus. So he's free to bless them. He's free to love them. He's free to celebrate them. Okay, let's look at, see what happens. Envy and rivalry plus something else equals bitterness, anger, and competition. See, but when Jesus is in the equation, it doesn't lead to bitterness, anger, and competition because he overwhelms all the other variables and changes the equation. And then even in the equation when it's death plus Jesus equals gain. I mean, if he can conquer death and change that equation, he can change any equation. Let me tell, tell you a little story about how my equation changed. It happened right before I went into college. Um, I grew up in the church. As long as you're living in my house, you're going to be in church. That's the house I grew up in. That doesn't mean that you may have been in the Lord's house. That mean the Lord was in your house. You know what I'm saying? Like, the point is, is I, I wasn't really following Jesus. I knew of Jesus, but I wasn't following him. I was in a relationship that was uh, very compromised, not, not pure at all. And one Sunday night, this lady by the name of Marianne Harewood came up to me and she said, I was in prayer this afternoon and the Holy Spirit spoke to me that you're supposed to go to church camp. Well, he didn't speak to me. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, I can't. I have to work. I was working at that big company called McDonald's. Sorry, I can't. I have to go to work. I have to work. She said, no, you don't. My husband's your boss and you're off. Her husband, Jim, was the overseer of three McDonald's, and he had already worked at where I was off. Now, here's what you need to know. There was nobody else from my church going to church camp. I'd have to drive myself, by myself, to church camp. Not exactly what I was looking forward to doing. But I was backed in the corner, and I couldn't, like, make... Anyway, she said this. She said, we will actually pay your way and your lost wages for the week. Now, that's putting your money where your prophecy is. You know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> 
I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to church camp. So I go to church camp, and I'm in the very back row. There are 600 students there, and across the stage, okay, this was before the nice graphics, okay? Big old banner, this big, and 1,345 font, red letters, white banner. It said, the greatest week of your life. And the guy got up there and said, this is going to be the greatest week of your life. And 599 people went, woo! (laughs) And I stood in the back with my arms crossed. And I said, fat chance. Truly. Fat chance. That Tuesday night, the minister was sharing a message about this, using a metaphor of a new movie that just got released called The Lion King, but... (laughs) I still don't know how he got anything Christian out of that, but anyways, he did somehow. I don't remember what, but... As he closed, worship started to play, people started to respond, and I sat in my chair and I began to weep. The conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon me. I'm around 599 strangers. And I weep in my chair. And then I feel a tap on my shoulder. I don't know anyone. I look back and there's this girl who I later found out her name's Jenny. And I said, yeah. She said, do you want to go forward? I said, no. I'm quite capable. I put my head back down and I just continued to weep as the Holy Spirit convicted me. And then I felt another tap on my shoulder. This girl was relentless. She said, are you sure you don't want to go forward? I'm like, I guess I will. So I go forward. No one was praying for me. I was around people I did not know. And I raised my hands to Jesus and I was praying. And I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed my life. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit comes on me like I'd never experienced, didn't even know it was possible. It was a book of Acts experience. I didn't want to move, didn't want to leave. The next day, my girlfriend, we were so enslaved to each other, the idea of going a whole week without seeing each other was so hard. She drove, as I recall, it was either three and a half or four and a half hours one way, I can't remember, to see me, because on Wednesday night they let visitors in. She sees me and she starts crying. I said, uh, Carrie, why are you crying? And she said, and I quote, because you're not the same Pete that I fell in love with. And I said to her, you're right, I'm not. 
I had not told her what happened, but she knew it. And then I began to explain what happened about how I had encountered God through the Holy Spirit and the equation of my life had changed. I was about 18 hours into it, but I knew I would never be the same. And I haven't. She was so physically upset by what she saw. On her drive home, she had to pull over on the side of the interstate to throw up. The equation of my life changed and everything changed for me. Um, My relationship changed in a hurry. I began to read the Bible, not because someone was like, you need to read the Bible every day and I'm going to hold you accountable and you better do it. No, it's just I wanted to know Jesus more. Because to live is Christ. And if the, if the glory of God can be discovered in his word, then I just want to be in his word. And then, I just wanted to share Jesus with anybody I could. I mean, like, if, if you were open to having a conversation about Jesus, we'd have it. I mean, th- this was when DC Talk just came out with a new release, you know, called Jesus Freak. I mean, it was, well, late couple years later, in this time, okay? I went to that concert. I bought a, a wooden cross necklace. Like, it was really subtle. I wore that bad boy around my campus. Back of my shirt said, Jesus freak. And I would talk to anybody that would listen. Because. Because the equation of my life had changed and I wanted the equation of their life to change. I, I'm just trying to give you a picture of how much it changed me. I mean, let me just put it this way. No one saw me being a minister. Not even my mom. This is why I'm such a believer in events like this because I believe this weekend your equation can change and that in some day, 20 years, you'll be like telling your family about when the equation of your life changed and you've never been the same. Let me tell you how it changed my college experience. It changed the way I handled my studies. Before, I, okay, so there's really three ways you can handle your studies. The first one is a sloth. I don't know, I'm sure none of you can relate to this one, but this is where I was before. I was like, I don't really care about school. And I took the gifts that God had given me and the talents he'd given me and the opportunities he gave me, I took them for granted and I just didn't try. That was my whole high school career. I just didn't try. And then I meet Jesus right before I go off to college. And so I like engage in college with a very different way. But so that you can be a sloth or you can be a slave to your studies. And, and so uh, here's what it looks like to be a slave to your studies. Every, 
When you're a slave to your studies, your studies have power over you because they have the power to tell you if you're going to be a success or a failure. Every test, every project, every paper has the power to tell you if you're going to be a success or failure. It has the power to tell you if you're going to be valuable or worthless. It has the the power to tell you if you are enough or if you're insufficient and deficient. Because when you're a slave to your studies, you have given your studies, your GPA, how it comes out. You have given it the power to tell you your identity, your value, and and if if you're worth it. And see, when, when, this, when people are, are slaves to their study, here's what, what happens. They, uh, they skip stuff. Like, they're not, you're like, oh, man, I, I mean, I'll come to core group when I can, but I'm not going to be able to very often because I've got a lot, you know, going on. And, and because you're so fearful, you're so anxious, and there's so much pressure because everything is on the line, your security your value, your hope is all in how the semester turns out. And so you are, you have to serve your studies with a religious devotion because that's where your hope is. And, and I've watched this happen and it grinds people to powder. Maybe you've experienced it. You have a master. So you could be a sloth or you could be a slave. Or there's a third way. And this is what the Lord helped me step into. And it was that I could actually handle my my studies differently. Not as a sloth or not as a slave. But in this middle ground as a steward. That I could see my studies as as a, a, a way to steward my gifts, my talents, and the opportunities that God has blessed me with, and I would could steward it for the glory of God. And so therefore, I would I was free. I wasn't under a fear or a pressure or a or an anxiety because my value, my hope, my identity was wrapped up. And no, that was already established. Who I am in Jesus, I am loved, I am accepted, and I'm enough in Jesus. And therefore, I could be free as I engage my studies. However, I can also be diligent because I want to maximize and steward the gifts he's given me really well to glorify him and not to treat it lightly. But it also means that I could live out Matthew 6.33 to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the other things will be taken care of, will be added unto me. In other words, if I put him first, he will help me as I steward my gifts second to get where he wants me to go. And so I'm diligent but free. Are you guys following me? And so Jesus... Studies plus Jesus is stewarding for his glory. Studies plus whatever else is enslavement, pressure, and fear. I'm just giving you an example of how Jesus changes everything. So before my test, I, I had a pink pearl eraser. I was a comm school major, and so we, you know, pink pearl eraser, and I had a mechanical pencil, and I would sit it before me before as the tests were being handed out, and I would almost always pray the exact same prayer. You want to know what it was? Lord, I've done the best I can to be prepared for this test. Help me to remember 
everything I've studied. Give me the mind of Christ and help me to guess wisely. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you ever get a test back and you're like, how did I get that right? Oh, I've done that many times. Okay. But I would close it with this. But not for my glory, but for yours. In other words, I wanted to approach my studies as an act of worship, not as an act of me trying to build my identity, my security, my value, my worth. But I was free to be diligent and glorify Him, but yet seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. When Jesus is in the equation, he overwhelms it and he changes everything. In closing, I want you to get out your phones. Yeah, I said, get out your phones. I want you to get out your phones and I want you to open an app that you, some of you may not have. It's the camera. I know you don't use that very much. Go ahead and open up the camera app, and I want you to turn on selfie mode. Every one of you, yes, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Okay, I, I didn't say take selfies, I see, I see flashes happening all over. Okay, here's what you had to promise, here's what you had to promise, you're not looking it up all, at all your updates and all the texts that you missed, okay, don't go there, don't go there, don't exit this moment. I want you to look into your phone in selfie mode. And I want to ask you a question as you look. What do you see? Do you see someone who is defined by Christ? Whose identity is in Christ? Therefore has nothing to prove. I want you to keep looking, keep looking. Do you see a child of God that is eternally loved, totally forgiven, extremely valued, completely accepted, and fully capable? Because if that's what you see, then you will react differently when rivalry and envy come your way. You will approach your studies differently and you will even endure hardship differently. What do you see? Because when Jesus is in the equation, he overwhelms all the other variables. He changes everything. He changes the equation from loss to gain, from despair to opportunity, from bitterness to freedom, from slavery to stewardship, from our glory to his glory. He changes everything. So as we close, if you are here and you have never turned from your idol, whatever it is you put in that blank. And made Jesus the preeminent one of your life. I want to encourage you that tonight 
you can change the equation by surrendering to Jesus. And your life can change. So as we respond tonight, I want to encourage you to simply turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to fill the blank in my life. To live is Christ. just a matter of time that however you fill in that blank now, it will let you down and end in loss. It will end in loss. And then for the rest of us here, what rivals Jesus in that blank tonight? Will you push the rival aside and enthrone Jesus in the equation of your life? We're going to have a time of response. We're going to have some songs, but I want to encourage you to talk to Jesus before you sing to Jesus. And so there's much space in this room that if you want to move, if you want to turn and kneel or come to an, a step or turn around in a chair and pray, I want to encourage you to do so. I, I want us to have time to reorient where we need to reorient, to to refocus where we need to refocus, to surrender where we need to surrender. And I believe as we do, our lives will change because of it. Will you stand? Let's reorient. Let's refocus. Let's surrender. Let's say with the Apostle Paul, for me, to live is Christ. He is my treasure. I've tasted of the glory of his grace, and the sweetness of his presence, and the transforming power of his spirit, and the glory of his purposes. me to live as Christ. Please just take a moment. It's a holy moment. You need to find a place. You need to kneel. You need to stand. Whatever. Let's enthrone Jesus tonight. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.